you're not the boss of me now and you're not so big. Welcome to Life is Unfair, the Malcolm the Middle podcast, where I watch and talk about every episode of Malcolm the Middle in chronological order. Today we're talking about Ida Loses a Leg, which originally aired March 20th, 2005, was directed by Stephen Welch and written by Andy Bobro. Hi, I'm Jake, and who brings a dog to a podcast funeral? And I'm David, and you didn't say not to. You said I wouldn't be able to. I love how well our intro lines lined up there. (laughs) You're not wrong. (laughs) Uh, It's not even planned. (laughs) Yeah, who plans a podcast? Yeah, right? (laughs) I I do laugh, because I swear, there's gotta be someone out there who thinks we script things, right? Like, there's a skeptic for everyone, right? <laughs> Shut up. Yeah, this whole thing scripted. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Nailed it. Just like in the script. I hate you so much. Honestly, <laughs> the writers really overuse that line. <laughs> <laughs> it's their favorite, Jake. <laughs> <laughs> but before we get into this week's episode, we have our community segment. And starting off, we have some poll results that are looking back on Living Will, which uh, for that episode, which Eric joined us for, uh, we all agreed that Malcolm was the least shitty kid because he was the only one who showed Craig any sympathy (laughs) in his uh, conflict with his father. And the internet agreed with us. Uh, Malcolm won with 60% of the vote, with Francis and Reese splitting the remainder. Such a weird feeling to agree on, like, all of us agree on an Eric episode. You're not wrong. Well, he's been, uh, you know, moving his uh, hot takes over to WTFF. (laughs) I guess that's fair. (laughs) Uh, And, uh... We did disagree on Shittiest Kid, uh, as Eric chose Dewey for throwing sand in Craig's eyes, uh, while we chose Reese for uh, his, uh, like, uh, exuberance for violence and the training, and for not caring about Craig leaving, just caring that it means he doesn't owe him money anymore. And the internet overwhelmingly agreed with Eric over us. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, Dewey got all but one vote, and that one vote did not go to our choice of Reese. It went to Francis. What? What? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, potentially because of Eric's WTFF shenanigans. Okay. Yeah, I guess that's fair. I, I feel like there's someone out there who's just voting for Francis every time, no matter what. That's also possible. <laughs> Some real Josh from Des Moines energy. Yeah, there's Josh from Des Moines, he's still out there. He's a true menace. <laughs> uh, and we also have an email. Uh-oh. And it's titled, Jake is Wrong. <laughs> oh, thank God. Yes, finally. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Uh, and this email, which, uh, comes from Andy, uh, simply says, uh, Jake is wrong about Applebee's. Oh, thank God. Uh, 
Uh, Applebee's was uh, never cool when it first came out. I'm pretty sure he's mixing it up with TGI Fridays, which was the birthplace of mixology and fits everything he said, unlike that shithole Applebee's. Wow. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> uh thought this needed clarified because again i fucking hate applebee's keep up the great work andy <laughs> man i wow that's some that's some that's some hard stances on applebee's my guy uh i don't know if i'd call it a shithole but also fair yeah, and, uh, yeah. The uh, upon a little googling to confirm, uh, I I was in fact confusing the two. I was thinking of TGI Fridays. I'm glad. I thought it was weird at the time, but like, also I was like, oh, but it's Jake, so he probably remembers it better. And then of course that influenced the way that I started thinking. But I was like, huh. <laughs> but I, I'll be honest with you though. Like even knowing that now, and in. I still have a hard time telling the difference between CGI Fridays and Applebee's. Same. (laughs) (laughs) Like, those and, uh, like, uh, Outback Steakhouse, like, are all pretty interchangeable in my mind. (laughs) Now, see, Outback's very different for me, but, like, it definitely doesn't cross over. But, like, the inside of our TGI Fridays and the inside of our Applebee's here locally looked almost identical. So they're interchangeable in my mind. I mean, agreed, but I feel, again, I feel the same way about Out- Outback Steakhouse. Like, for that specific reason, I feel like every time I've been in any of those restaurants, they've looked identical. Oh, see, yeah, no, Outback at least, like, the colors are different, the layout's different, the booths suck. Uh, like, <laughs> Outback, like, at least is distinguishable to me. Yeah, they're, they're all just, like, the same, like, dimly lit, like, drab, identical, like, interchangeable <laughs> restaurant in my mind. Uh, that does not surprise me coming from you, Jake, but I, I disagree. <laughs> I mean, I also haven't been to any of those in a very long time. I, I would fair. also, I would also throw chilies in that, uh. Oh, that, that club. <laughs> see, Chili's is always all the ones that I've been inside of are very much so Ruby Tuesdays. Like those two chains are identical. Gotcha. I've, I've yeah. never been to Ruby Tuesdays, but 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 I'm sure if I did, they they would be sorted like mentally <laughs> into that same one super mediocre restaurant. <laughs> Applebee's file. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, well, uh, I, I guess then let's get into this week's episode. Okay, let's, uh, let's get into this week's episode. And, as usual, it starts with a cold open. Uh, this one's a pretty simple one. As, uh, Lois is in the shower, and the bathroom door, uh, is, like, snuck open by Reese as he, like, reaches in a hand, about to flush the toilet. And Lois calls out, uh, you flush that toilet, I'm opening this curtain. <laughs> <laughs> and resize and backs down. <laughs> I was going to say, a simple yet effective threat. 
And getting into the episode proper, we have three plot lines to cover this time. Uh, with them all sort of uh, coming out of the main plot line, which is where we'll be starting. Uh, which, uh, I mean, the, the proper name for this is clearly the F plot, because it's the plot line with Francis. But I, I feel like you didn't name it that, David. Uh, correct. For shame. Uh, what what did you incorrectly name it then, David? Incorrectly? Listen, if you're going to start throwing around these accusations <laughs> and clear uh, indications that you don't understand how a naming convention is supposed to work, Jake, this isn't going to work. All right? I, I just want to point out uh-huh. that the F plot being the Francis plot line, one, was your uh-huh. idea. And two was the start of all this plot line naming nonsense. <laughs> uh, listen, I'm not going to say you're right. I'm not going to say you're wrong. Uh, what I am going to say is that uh, I had an F plot name kind of lined up for this, but it didn't quite fit. And you can't just call this the Francis plot line because... Ida and Lois deserve their due. And there's something much more pivotal to, I think, the transition of this plot line. Yeah. Yes. This is the PA plot line, Jake, for photo album. Okay. (laughs) Before I decided to uh, tear into you for not calling this the F plot, that is actually what I was thinking. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. You would have been correct. (laughs) But uh, this plot line starts with Malcolm complaining. Shocking. <laughs> uh, specifically, he's complaining because Ida is once again visiting them. And he says that uh, it's like she could sense some happiness at the edge of her web. <laughs> uh, I love the way they talk about Ida. <laughs> And he says that the worst part about her being here is how it affects his mom. And he walks over to Lois, holding up a $20 bill, saying, Hey, Mom, I took this $20 from your purse, and I don't plan on ever paying it back. (laughs) And Lois, uh, clearly, like, too stressed out about Ida being there, doesn't actually hear what he says, and just says, I don't care who started it, you and your brother work it out. (laughs) (laughs) And Hal sits down on the couch next to Lois, and he, like, jumps up as he does. He realizes he inadvertently sat on, like, a uh, half of Ida's dentures, which he says he keeps finding laying around. (laughs) And Lois looks at it and says she must be wearing her smoking teeth. Those are her fancy teeth. (laughs) God, that's so gross. (laughs) (laughs) And when Hal says that, you know, she has to do something about all these teeth laying around, Lois says that she's just happy that she got Ida to smoke outside. Uh, She can't win them all. (laughs) And it cuts to Ida smoking. And she is, in fact, smoking outside, but she's blowing all of her smoke through the front door. (laughs) Uh, It is... Such an Ida power move. Like, 
<laughs> I expect no less at this point. <laughs> and uh, as she's doing that, uh, Dewey is playing with a remote control car. And as he's, like, playing with it, he's narrating to himself, like, cutting back and forth between what he's saying and what the family's saying. As he's running away and the family's begging him to come back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Dewey. They don't pay that much attention. <laughs> and when his RC car uh, gets out into the street, it flips over. And Dewey goes out into the street to get it. Not noticing that there's a car, or uh, specifically a truck, coming down the street. And the uh, driver is not paying attention as he is flossing as he's driving. And Ida, seeing this, rushes in and, uh, like, dives to push Dewey out of the way uh, to safety, resulting in her getting hit by the truck. And uh, that's sort of where the other plot lines, uh, like, diverge out from there. Uh, but we find out what happens to Ida in the uh, next scene as uh, Hal will reveal that uh, she lost a leg. We then uh, see the uh, result of this lost leg as we follow Lois and Ida to Ida's home in Canada as Lois is helping her into her apartment, or at least trying to, as Ida opens the door herself, uh, which Lois is upset about, saying that the uh, doctor told her not to squirm around too much or her leg will start to bleed again. Which Ida insists is a uh, scare tactic. To try to keep you weak. Yes. <laughs> so that they can sell you more go-go pills. God. <laughs> then behind them, Francis uh, like uh, brings some luggage in. And takes a single step into the apartment and declares, Okay, I helped get Grandma moved back in, and I stuck around for a while. I've fulfilled my obligations. I'm gonna leave. <laughs> <laughs> Lois, like, calls him back and says that he needs to stay and help Ida. Uh, but uh, Ida also tells him that uh, he can leave. That it's the little one who owes her his life. <laughs> but Lois insists, telling Francis he's the only one in the family without school or a job, so he needs to stay here and help Ida. <laughs> and, of course, immediately Ida and Francis start fighting, as Ida says that Francis is useless anyways, uh, and that he's, uh, he's gotten by just fine with nothing between his legs. <laughs> and Francis... Uh, tells Ida, you think I'm above punching you? <laughs> and uh, Ida, in typical horrific fashion, uh, tells him that, uh, that, that that sounds like something he would do, uh, and he's not even good enough to marry a white girl. And Lois, like, gets between them and uh, tells them to stop fighting, and there's, like, a... Second or two of silence before they both simultaneously start screaming at each other again. Then, when we come back to this plotline again, uh, Francis is yelling at Ida for spoiling the episode of Star Trek they were watching. And, uh, once again, trying to make peace between them, uh, Lois, like, yells at both of them. She tells Francis, you know, you're stuck here, so suck it up and deal with it. 
all this fighting isn't making it any better. Then she turns to Ida and says, uh, you need his help. Uh, it doesn't matter how uh, mean and vicious you are, you can't bully a can of soup out of the cupboard. <laughs> Which I feel like is not giving her enough credit. I think she might be able to do it. <laughs> <laughs> then when, when Francis, like, over Lois's shoulder says, yeah, show some gratitude, you old bat. <laughs> Lois, like, pulls him aside. And asks him to do this not for Ida, but for her. And she says uh, that they're both filled with so much hate, there, there, there must be something they have in common. Some sort of overlap. <laughs> and she uh, attempts to find this overlap, saying, uh, you, you both must hate boy bands. And she turns to Ida and asks, you hate boy bands, right? And Ida just shrugs and says... Uh, they're making a living. Give them a break. <laughs> <laughs> and when Lois turns to Francis and, you know, insists that he figure out some way to get along with Ida, you know, some mutual thing they hate, uh, he finds one saying, Hey, Ida, don't you hate how bossy my mom is? <laughs> Which... Of course, Ida immediately goes along with as it, like, uh, transitions from that into them both complaining about birthdays and how they're a scam. Then <laughs> we see Francis uh, trying to clean Ida's wound, and she's complaining about his breath as he does. And Francis, like, starts to argue with her again, but Lois, like, gives him a look, and he, like, calms himself down and just tells her, Okay, I'll brush my teeth when we're done here. Then we see Ida and Francis both sitting on the couch as Ida is showing Francis a photo album. <laughs> She's showing him his Uncle Vlad in the only sober photo of him. <laughs> oh man, that's relatable. <laughs> <laughs> then uh, she shows him a picture of one of his cousins and says uh, if anyone so much as smiled at her, she'd jump into bed. <laughs> <laughs> and when she turns the page, Francis turns at a, uh, points at a picture and uh, asks, uh, what's wrong with this person? What was their big moral failing? <laughs> and Ida says, it's her old friend Peter. Look at him holding that menu like he could read. <laughs> <laughs> and Francis asks who the little girl is who's standing next to Ida and Victor. And... Ida says, that's you. <laughs> and she says it's from uh, when Lois sent him to live with them. And upon hearing this, uh, Francis is, you know, uh, freaking out saying he doesn't remember that and uh, asking Lois, you know, for an explanation. And she says that it was a really difficult time because Hal was changing jobs and they just had Reese and they couldn't handle both of them. So they... Sent Francis to live with Victor and Ida for a little while. Uh, six months, to be precise. Yes, as Ida very quickly clarifies. <laughs> it felt like forever. <laughs> <laughs> and she talks about how Francis was always complaining, uh, saying, you know, boo-hoo, I want to see my parents, and I miss home, and you're scaring me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that tracks. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she 
says that Francis was a terrible baby. He tore a huge gash in his side trying to climb out a window. <laughs> and Francis, like, pulls up his shirt to show a, like, giant, like, very crooked, like, scar on his side. Asking, is this where that came from? You wouldn't stop screaming when I tried to sew you up. And Francis starts yelling at Lois, saying, uh, you know, I was just a baby and you were trying to get rid of me. I guess I should feel lucky that you didn't send me away permanently until I was 15. Then, uh, the next time we come back to this plot line, uh, Francis is changing Ida's bandage. And, uh, Ida is telling him to keep his eyes on the stump, Romeo. God. And Gross. Lois is, like, uh, preparing to leave. And she tells Francis that, uh, she left, like, the numbers for Ida's doctors on the fridge, and she put up the safety railing in the shower, and she starts to leave with, like, Francis refusing to talk to her. And, uh, as she's about to leave, she stops herself and tells Francis there's something she has to say. And she apologizes to him, uh, for being a bad mother for sending him away to live with Victor and Ida, and then later for sending him away to military school. Says that he deserved a mother who was more patient and caring, and she likes to think she was better with the other boys, but uh, that just highlights how crappy of a deal he got. And Francis is, of course, shocked by this, uh, as he just keeps saying, Wow. 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 <laughs> <laughs> But then it, uh, dawns on him that this is exactly what he's wanted for all of these years, and it doesn't make him feel any better. <laughs> that he's fantasized about almost these exact words coming from Lois, but now that he's got it, he doesn't feel anything. He still has all of this resentment built up in him. And all this has done is taken that dream away from him, the one thing he was living for. <laughs> And uh, Lois is, like, trying to get him to calm down as he's spiraling out. And uh, she, she asks him if he wants a hot towel, and he says no. And she offers him uh, her money. And she says she has $200 on her, and she only needs $30 for the bus. She, she'll give him the rest, which uh, Francis takes uh, <laughs> now that he's, like, aimless and doesn't know what he wants. <laughs> Throwing in the Tic Tacs in her purse. <laughs> and Lois leaves him there with Ida, looking like very distraught and confused as Ida calls him over for lotion time. God. <laughs> and that wraps up that plot line. And from there, we will go to the uh, more closely related of the two, the Dewey-centric plot line. Uh, which... I think you have named... <laughs> huh. I think you named this the LF plot for Leg Funeral. <laughs> no. But, I will say, I did n dial back the insane plotline name that I originally came up with for this one. Yeah? <laughs> that you had... No way of ever guessing uh, that I thought was hilarious just because of uh, how this is related. So I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you that one, and then we'll discuss what the real plotline name is now. Okay. So this originally was gonna be the TT plotline for Tech Tech, 
uh, which, by the way, if you don't know, is a Japanese urban legend uh, about a uh, spirit of a woman who got run over by a train and it severed her in half. And so she hunts people uh, and haunts them by asking them for her legs back <laughs> and then killing them when they don't give it to her. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Which is awesome. And I was Google searching something else and found that and went, oh, that's great. And then I went, yeah, but it doesn't really tie into the rest of the plot line. <laughs> uh, and I knew you would have called me out for bullshit if I named it that. Um, <laughs> so uh, instead, this is the VD plot line. And no, not for venereal disease. This is for Vent Dog. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, th this plot line uh, picks up immediately after Ida gets hit by the truck. Uh, as it like comes in, uh, like, like the truck is about to hit Ida, and it just hard cuts to some chili being scooped onto a plate with a nice splat sound. <laughs> <laughs> it is a very good sound effect. And uh, Reese and Malcolm complain about having chili for breakfast, but uh, Hal says that uh, uh, Jamie's not complaining. He had two bowls. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, th that's where we get the uh, like initial reveal of what happened to Ida. As Malcolm asks when Lois is going to be home, <laughs> and Hal tells uh, the boys... That uh, Ida lost a leg. They should have some sympathy for Lois for having to take care of her. <laughs> <laughs> and he says, and besides, I'm not the one who walked out into the street. And he turns to Dewey and says, not that anyone's blaming you. <laughs> and Dewey says, you know, I I'm already feeling bad enough. And Hal tells him that, uh, that's exactly what I'm saying. You shouldn't feel bad. <laughs> and that, 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 like, sets up sort of Dewey's problem in this episode as he's having these feelings of guilt about Ida losing her leg, saving him. Which uh, we, we then see more of as he's about to go to bed. And he's, like, sitting there and he uh, says, I wonder which nightmare I'm gonna have tonight. The forest of severed legs or drowning in grandma's blood. <laughs> God, poor Dewey. <laughs> then the next day, we see Hal trying to get Jamie to eat his vegetables, doing the uh, classic, like, you're going to eat these by the time I count to three. And he counts to three, and Jamie still refuses, and Hal, of course, immediately gives in. <laughs> gives Jamie what he actually wants, which is a full bottle of chocolate syrup. <laughs> yeah, a full bottle. A full <laughs> Bottle! Oh my god, the recklessness here. And Dewey comes out and tells Hal that he can't stop thinking about what happened to Ida. And he feels terrible, but Ida doesn't want to talk to him, so he thinks he should do something to honor the leg. Like, maybe give it a funeral. And Hal explains that he can't do that. Because the leg is medical waste. They're gonna do whatever they do with medical waste to it. <laughs> and he offers to, you know, instead to help make Dewey feel better, they'll go out to the garage and make Ida a peg. 
Uh, but Dewey refuses. He can paint it like a candy cane. <laughs> yes. Uh, Dewey refuses saying, no, I want the leg. <laughs> and Hal, like, dismisses him, saying, well, that's not gonna happen. And, of course, Dewey starts making it happen. <laughs> we then see him uh, calling a hospital, pretending to be an assistant for the surgeon uh, who amputated Ida's leg. And he says that the uh, doctor was drunk when he was performing the surgery and lost a wedding ring in Ida's leg. <laughs> he says that the surgeon was drunk. He then, after a pause, says, yes, again. <laughs> and he says they're going to need to uh, get the ring out of the leg before the lawyers come in uh, and do their Monday morning quarterbacking. <laughs> And he tells them uh, that they can just send the legs direct the leg directly to him, and he gives his address. And we see Dewey opening up the box that they sent him, which is like clearly marked medical waste. And he pulls a leg out that's like in a little uh, like leg-shaped body bag. And he like pulls it out and then looks confused as he like looks uh, back into the box and pulls out another and then another and another and another. <laughs> <laughs> then uh, to try to figure out which one of these legs is the correct one, he calls Lois and asks what Ida's shoe size is. And she says it's the same size as hers. Uh, and... Uh, she asks Dewey why he wants to know, and he says, just making sure, and hangs up. <laughs> and we see him holding one of Lois's shoes as he's walking over to the legs, uh, telling himself uh, that he's Prince Charming looking for Cinderella. That's all this is. <laughs> <laughs> then we go to the leg funeral, as Dewey has apparently found the correct leg. And he has the leg, like, sitting there next to a pile of dirt. And he uh, attempts to give a eulogy, saying that this is the leg that saved his life. It also kicked him and uh, stomped on his toes a lot. But you didn't choose to do that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Dewey. But the funeral is interrupted as Hal comes home from work early. And uh, Dewey, like, goes over to intercept him and is, you know, asking why he came home so early. And Hal is explaining that uh, he thought of something to cheer Dewey up. And uh, Dewey has finally gotten his uh, wish that he's been wishing for for the entire show. As Hal has got him a dog. And uh, as they're, like, having this discussion behind them... Uh, at the funeral, the dog, like, rushes from off-screen over to the leg and promptly starts eating it. It's <laughs> real dog behavior, Jake. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, th that is uh, where both, that seems where both of our opening line lines come from. As uh Dewey asks, uh, who brings a, uh, a dog to a leg funeral? <laughs> <laughs> to which Hal immediately realizes, wait. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't sound right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, uh, 
We come back, the dog has dragged the leg into a vent in like a crawl space under the house. And Hal and Dewey are trying to get it back as Hal is like uh, poking a stick in and the, and the dog is like growling at him for trying to take the leg away. And uh, Dewey tells him to throw another stake in. But Hal says he's not going to waste another stake. He's not going for it. Uh, and that was good steak, too. It was $12 a pound. <laughs> and Dewey immediately says, uh, no, it wasn't. It was bargain meat, and he can tell. <laughs> That's right. Very discerning palate this dog has. And Dewey uh, suggests calling 911, and uh, Al says uh, that that would be a bad idea. What about this situation makes you think the authorities should be involved? <laughs> Fair. <laughs> That might be and the first good decision Hal has made this episode. You're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and Dewey declares that now he's going to feel bad forever. That this leg funeral was his one opportunity to feel better. And Hal, like, tries to cheer him up, telling him that uh, Ida is the worst woman in the world, but even she recognizes the difference between a life lived and a life with potential, and that if he wants to make it up to her, he should live his life to its fullest potential. <laughs> and then he adds, uh, and besides, uh, saving you might be her only chance to get into heaven, which will make you very unpopular in heaven, but we'll deal with that later. <laughs> and then, uh, the... the this plotline ends with uh, Dewey and Hal once again, like, looking into this vent at the dog eating the leg. And Dewey uh, asks Hal if they uh, can get rid of the dog. <laughs> and Hal says that's probably a good idea. And uh, that only leaves one plotline left. The uh, most disconnected from Ida losing her leg. The Malcolm and Reese-centered plotline. Uh... And I think you have named this the SG plot for Superglue. You would think that. You would think that. I would. But I knew that that was too easy. Instead, I chose to focus on the underlying condition that leads to the ending of this plot line. Uh, so this is the SP plot line for sleep psychosis. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it sort of uh, spins out the other plot lines uh, at the breakfast table where uh, the, the chili is being served. Reese tries to convince Hal that uh, they, they don't have to go to school yet because they've switched to a four-hour school day. <laughs> Man, I, if, I'm so glad Hal didn't fall for that. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> he he's immediately shuts it down. Uh, say that the boys are going to behave while Lois is gone because she already doesn't trust him alone with them. She thinks that I'll do something stupid and irresponsible. <laughs> and he immediately does something stupid and irresponsible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, immediately. No, no, uh, no delays there. Yikes. <laughs> As he opens up the newspaper and tells the boys about a story in it that he's, like, laughing at. Uh, about a uh, guy in a frat house who glued another kid's face to the floor when he fell asleep. <laughs> and he, like, laughs and says, uh, Can you imagine what that must look like? 
and they just used regular super glue, the same kind we have a bunch of in the garage. <laughs> and upon hearing this, Reese and Malcolm both, like, perk up, and then recognize that uh, they both had the same idea and, like, try to play it off. Then, uh, that night, uh, the same night that Dewey's wondering which nightmare he'll have, uh, Reese and Malcolm are both just sitting on their respective beds, like, staring each other down, talking about, uh, how deeply they're going to sleep, how nothing could possibly wake me up. <laughs> <laughs> and then they just, like, continue to stare and then say, well, good night, and then just continue to sit and stare. <laughs> and... Uh, it cuts to the morning as they're in the exact same positions, just sitting on their beds staring at each other. <laughs> and when Dewey's alarm goes off, Reese, like, stretches and uh, talks about how refreshed he's feeling. <laughs> and they, uh, both, like, go off to, uh, brush their teeth. And as they do, they both, like, reach under the pillow and, uh... Very obviously hide the super glue behind their backs. <laughs> then uh, we see Malcolm uh, coming in uh, to the bathroom and, and like closing the door behind him and like looking around to make sure he's alone as he explains to camera uh, that he hasn't slept in two days and he's cutting school just to come and try to get some sleep as he like lays down in the bathtub and he explains that he just needs half an hour. Or any sleep at all, and then he'll have the advantage over Reese and he'll be able to end this. And he closes his eyes and falls asleep, and he wakes up to the sight of a equally sleep-deprived Reese, uh, like reaching out with his glue, about to glue his face to the tub. <laughs> and he like screams and jumps up, and... Reese tells him, you saved yourself this time, but your reactions are going to get slower and slower, and I'll be there waiting. <laughs> then, uh, we see Reese as he is, like, walking through the house backwards, holding his glue out like a gun in front of him. <laughs> like, checking every corner for Malcolm, uh, as he is, like, uh, clearly, uh, sleep-deprived and paranoid, just like Malcolm. And when he gets into the bathroom, he, like, turns and screams as he sees his own reflection in the mirror. And that prompts Malcolm to jump out of the shower also screaming. <laughs> and they, like, uh, once again stare each other down. And uh, Malcolm says that this is ruining both of their lives. This has to stop. Uh, I got a B on my history midterm. And Ree says, uh, yeah, I fell asleep while I was beating a kid up. <laughs> <laughs> Those are essentially the same thing for them. <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and they both declare that they need to call a truce. And they shake hands, but as soon as they start shaking hands, they both go to glue the other's face and get stuck in like a wrestling match as they're trying to put the glue on. <laughs> then this, uh... Attempted prank like competition comes to its close as Malcolm brings in outside help. As he brings Stevie into his bedroom and asks Stevie to be his lookout so he can get some sleep so that he can uh, get the edge on Reese and put this whole thing to an end. And Stevie immediately says, Okay. And Malcolm like starts to turn to lay down, then says, Wait a minute. Why did you agree so quickly? 
And he concludes that Stevie must be working with Reese. That this whole thing was a setup. That's right. And at that point... some sort of side gig. Yes. At that point, Reese barges in and asks what the Stevie and Malcolm are planning together. And Malcolm uh, immediately accuses Reese of working with Stevie on this side deal. And... Uh, Reese is, uh, confused and, uh, immediately says, maybe you're just trying to make me think I have a side deal with Stevie. <laughs> oh, Reese. And it starts, like, cutting back and forth, but, uh, fr from, like, extreme close-ups between Reese and Malcolm. As they're both, like, clearly delirious and very confused about what they're, you know, even accusing each other of at this point. <laughs> But then Reese says that uh, he has uh, the ultimate plan to stop Malcolm. He's going to glue his own face to the floor. Ah, yes. <laughs> and Malcolm uh, thinks that that's some sort of trick. <laughs> and says, you're not going to fool me. <laughs> and starts gluing his own face to the floor. <laughs> and as soon as Reese has glued his face to the floor... Uh, he, like, instantly falls asleep, and Malcolm is, like, also starting to doze off immediately, but he manages to tell Stevie, uh, I assume you're mature enough not to do anything I would do in this situation. <laughs> uh, at least he's aware. <laughs> cuts to Stevie, who, like, looks confused, and then seeing them both passed out, with their faces glued to the floor, just gets a mischievous smile. <laughs> then the uh, episode ends, <laughs> like, returning to the bedroom, where Stevie has, like, tied Reese and Malcolm as they're unconscious, like, in a knot. <laughs> with their faces still glued to the floor. And... <laughs> The dog comes in and starts licking Reese's face, like half waking him up, as he starts saying, Stephanie, stop it. Then he like laughs and says, Your your breath smells like feet. <laughs> <laughs> Gross. <laughs> and that wraps the episode up. So with that, let's go to our awards. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awards. And as usual, we will start with our Roller Skating King Award. Our award for the best visual moment. What did you have for this one, David? Uh, oh man, dude. They, again, a very difficult uh, episode for uh, awards. But I had to go with uh, what I nicknamed Dewey's Leg Cooler. Just the scene of him like opening up the cooler... With the dry ice and then just pulling leg after leg after leg out of it uh, was incredibly funny to me. Yeah. Yeah, no, that, that, that is fair. That is one of them I had uh, for consideration. Uh, but I went with uh, Ida saving Dewey. Uh, fair. Also a very good scene. Yeah, just the, uh, like... Uh, shots back and forth, like, between Dewey and the truck and then, like, two Ida, like, piecing it together and then just, like, the... Look of determination as she, like, purses her lips together to, like, keep the cigarette in her mouth as she rushes over to save him. Yeah. <laughs> and then, like, the, the like, full-on, like, 
uh, action movie dive to like push him out of the way is just so fucking good. Uh, it is very funny. It was it was my backup. So to be fair, there were like two Ida scenes that were backups. <laughs> <laughs> then uh, moving on to our next award, what did you choose for your hot dog with mustard award? Your award for the best line. Oh, uh, this one. I think I'm gonna go ahead and. Uh... Man, it's so hard not to pick an idol line. <laughs> Unfortunately, we also have the Cloris Leachman Award, which helps a little. Yeah, yeah, right? <laughs> Dude, I, there's so many in here. But I actually ended up giving it to a Hal line because we had the Cloris Leachman Award. So I could still at least talk about some of my favorites. But the the line where he, Hal looks at Dewey and he goes, Dewey, what part of this looks like the authority should be involved? <laughs> It's just so funny. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> oh, and, uh, yeah, that, that, that is one of them I have uh, for consideration. I also had your intro line <laughs> as a possibility. <laughs> right. uh, because I, 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 I too, uh, was like specifically trying to pick one of the numerous ones that uh, didn't come from Ida. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> she has so many good lines in this. She does. <laughs> but but uh, I do still have uh, the Dewey line, uh, Prince Charming looking for Cinderella. That's all this is. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, but pr pretty much it was like uh, Dewey, Hal, and Ida were uh, all of the, the like contenders for this award. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> and they all had multiple. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, such a funny episode. It is. <laughs> then, uh, since, since we've uh, already mentioned it, let's uh, go to the Cloris Leachman Award, which is usually the award for the best acting. But since uh, Cloris Leachman is in the episode, instead, what was your favorite Cloris Leachman moment from the episode, David? <laughs> uh, again, there's so many good ones, but... uh. I had to go with when Lois and Francis are trying to find something that they can, like, bond their hate over. And Lois is like, Mom, you hate boy bands, right? And she, they're making a living. Give them a break. <laughs> it's just, it's so funny. It's definitely, like, the opposite of what you expect Ida to say. And it's just delivered so well. I, I could not stop laughing at that one. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, it is one of them I had listed as an option. <laughs> and, uh, since you went with that one, uh, I think I will go with uh, That's My Dear Old Friend Peter. Look at him holding that menu like he could read. <laughs> oh, poor Peter. <laughs> I especially love that like, it's, it's specifically her old friend. Like It's one of the only non-relatives she brings up. Right? Yeah. And she's still just shitting on him. At least she's consistent, Jake. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck. But, uh, moving on to our next award, which of these plot lines did you give the A-plot of your heart? Uh, I, I had to give it to the, the Ida and Francis and Lois plot line. So did I. <laughs> it's just, it's so funny. And also, as funny as the Dewey and Hal one is, like that ha that plotline doesn't exist without the the Ida plotline obviously, so, you know. Yeah, yeah, fair. And who did you choose as your favorite character? 
<laughs> I think we all know. I chose Ida. <laughs> yep, as did I. It's it's so hard not to when she's in an episode. Right? I mean, she's so amazing as it is, but then, like, when you get an episode like this where it's just so fucking funny, man. God. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, we, we get, like, a rare heroic moment from Ida, which, uh, it's sort of, like, pretty much ignored. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it all is. the characters in the episode. <laughs> but then, uh, moving along to our next award, who did you give your Mrs. Dabney Award, your award for the worst parent? I gave it to Hal for yeah. giving Jamie an entire bottle of syrup. Yeah, <laughs> I I was shocked to do it in an episode with Ida, but right? uh, I I also chose Hal uh, for that. Uh, for giving Reese and Dewey the idea to glue each other's face to the floor. You mean Reese and Malcolm? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 For buying Dewey a dog? Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Just bad job all around. Right. <laughs> then, uh, what did you give your OK Boomer Award? Your award for the moment or detail that sets this episode firmly within its time of release. Uh, I was pleasantly pleased that there were actually a couple options for this in this episode because it's been getting harder and harder lately uh, in these episodes. Um, but since I get to go first, I'm actually going to go with the physical photo album. Okay. Uh, well, I'm sure there are still people out there who own them. I haven't seen one since the early 2000s. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Everything's digital now. I went with uh, the fascination... Uh, on TV with doctors leaving things inside of patients after surgery. <laughs> uh, because in 2005, there was a like high-profile TV like documentary-style movie about this exact phenomenon called When Surgical Tools Get Left Behind. <laughs> <laughs> that is all about uh, cases where surgeons inadvertently left things inside of patients. Jesus. <laughs> Which uh, I couldn't find an exact date. I could only find the year. So I'm not sure if this uh, documentary came out before or after this episode. <laughs> but it did come out in the same year. <laughs> nice. That's awesome. And that just leaves our shittiest and least shitty kid awards. Which uh, I struggled with this time. So did I, Jake. It <laughs> okay. was it was rough. <laughs> uh, I had to do a lot of mental gymnastics to to convince myself to give certain awards out. Okay. Well, let's start with least shitty kid. Who did you choose as your least shitty kid? Uh, I ended up choosing Dewey. Okay, as did I. Because, I mean, while he doesn't necessarily do great things, his motivation isn't necessarily wrong. Like, he's trying to... Yeah, it's motivated by his own grief and, and his feeling of, of remorse and ickiness and whatever. But it's also... He's trying to do the right thing and, and pay some sort of respect to Ida for the the act that she did do. Yeah, yeah. No, that, that was uh, my exact thinking. 
And who did you have as your shittiest kid? Uh, now this one took a little bit, but I ended up landing on Francis. David? Uh-huh. We're, we're back to the agreeable streak. Yeah! I also chose Francis as shittiest kid. Perfect. <laughs> I just, like, it, it was hard to do because, you know, honestly, like, I didn't want to give it to him. And I understand his actions, but then there's the whole scene at the end and the inability to draw any sort of relief from, you know, this moment that he's fantasized and, and everything with his moment that could have been, you know, the, the makeup moment with uh, Lois. And instead, he's just so still caught on his own uh, feelings and, and desires and things that like and, and that sort of need for revenge that he has that he kind of takes away from this very real very sincere apology from his mom yeah yeah that's uh that's exactly what i gave it to him for it 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 was a tough one though because honestly like none of them are that shitty compared to usual wilkerson behavior right like even a uh, recent Malcolm trying to glue each other's faces to the floor is like fairly like tame compared to some of their uh, other pranks that they've done to each other. Oh, hundred percent. Which uh, yeah made this a, a difficult choice. Yep, I agree. But uh, we we came to the same conclusions. Yeah, <laughs> weird, but I like it. <laughs> And that wraps up our awards, but we have a couple of segments left, uh, starting with the Cranston Connection. As yeah. in some form or fashion, we have determined that all of the characters played by Brian Cranston are the same character. And uh, the connection this time is the explanation for why Hal is being so... You know, cautious and uh, scared as he's trying to get this dog to stop eating this leg. And it's because Hal has some very specific insight into the mind of a dog. Oh, as he no. Fact, has been a dog in the movie Isle of the Dogs, in which he played Chief, a dog that uh, was, like, kicked out on the street after biting a kid's hand so hard it nearly separated the hand from the arm. I forgot about... What the fuck? Uh, I haven't seen the movie, David, but I knew he was in it. <laughs> I haven't seen it either, I but I've read through his IMDb credits, Jake. <laughs> yep, that's why I knew he was in it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. But uh, that, that's why he's being so, you know, skittish and he's not reaching his arm and he has this pull instead because he, he knows how much damage a dog bite can do because he has been on the other side of that equation. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that, that, that just leaves David's guessing game. Uh, yeah. Which, uh, th this was kind of a tough one to evaluate because you got a good amount of the details correct, but you were very insistent <laughs> that Ida would not actually lose a leg in this episode. I, I, did I say I wasn't going to lock it in? I don't remember. 
Oh no, you you like immediately said that. What you were like going back and forth on was like what would happen instead. Initially, you speculated that she was like going to steal someone else's. Yeah, yeah, like a prosthetic, yeah. Yes, uh or yeah. the thing that you ended up settling on instead was that she would fake losing a leg. She would like lie about the surgery happening. Yeah. Uh but you did think that she would be doing that to take advantage of Francis. <laughs> Uh, trying to get him to help her in some way or send money. Uh, and Francis did end up having to help her, though uh, obviously it was because she actually did lose her leg. Right. Uh, so with that, uh, I gave you a 73% this time. Okay. So while you managed to get surprisingly... Like, a lot of the details correct. You were, uh, incorrect about, like, the overall plot. That's fair. And what do you think happens next week in Chad's sleepover? Uh, well, obviously this is gonna be a sleepover with the boy. Um, do I remember who Chad is? Oh, I remember. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Because Chad is... Mm, wait, is that the one that Chad... Fuck. <laughs> All right, if I remember which one Chad is correctly, um, I have a feeling that this will be a storyline uh, about, you know, uh, Dewey and Chad having a sleepover, and I imagine it's going to uh, take a turn for the worse, as, uh, you know, boys tend to do crazy shit at sleepovers, uh, especially with the, like, stereotypical slumber party thing for tv and usually it's like third sleepover before we start burning down the town but you know it's whatever and i have a feeling that uh lois and hal might start to uh dislike dewey's association with this kid because he's probably gonna like do something crazy or like you know I, I don't think he's gonna get dewey to like you know go on a biting spree or burn anything down but like they're definitely going to get into some trouble and uh, act a little weird because, you know, Busey's. And uh, I think Dewey's going to start down a dark path following his brothers. Okay. Or at least that will be the fear from Hal and Lois. All right. Well, that wraps this episode up. As always, thanks and credit to Jacob Newfeld, who does our intro and outro music. You can find links to more of his music in the episode descriptions. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can reach us by email where we are lifeisunfairpod at gmail.com, or you can reach us on Twitter where we are unfair underscore podcast. And if you enjoy the banter back and forth and want to join us live, head on over to twitch.tv slash LP Deathray, where we stream every day but Friday and Saturday night at 7.30 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. We interact with chat, play video games, and in general, have a good time. And as always, life is unfair. Uh, oh, also, uh, well, never mind. Yeah? I'm just dumb. We're recording the community segment. I have something to tell you that is not for the community segment. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it would not make sense to put it here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>